Hey, good morning. Y'all can have a seat. Uh, if this is your first time with us, my name is Andrew. I'm the preaching pastor for Anchor Church. Uh, Anchor Church is an intentionally simple church here in the middle of Seattle, uh, seeking to uh, make disciples and preach the gospel of Jesus. Uh, in so doing, we try and keep things very, very simple. Uh, we preach the gospel on Sunday. We do life together in community groups, uh, and we meet for Bible studies throughout the week uh, and seek to live our whole lives for Jesus. Uh, if you have a Bible, you can go with me to the book of James. Uh, if not, there's some on the table over there. Feel free to grab one. Uh, we are continuing to work our way through the New Testament, one book at a time, uh, with the intention of looking at every book in the New Testament and understanding what the core message of that book is so that you yourselves can own your Bible for yourself and know this better. Uh, so we'll be in the book of James today. Uh, turn with me to James' words inspired by the Spirit in chapter 2, starting in verse 14. I will pray for us and we will begin. Uh, King Jesus, we do thank you for today. We thank you for your grace and mercy in our lives. I thank you that you have uh, you have moved, you have called us together as your people, you have moved in our lives, you have saved us from ourselves, you've delivered us from our sin, you've given us life in abundance, and we now get to live for you, enjoying you, treasuring you above all things, Jesus. And I pray today that we would see you more clearly so that we can do that, and that we would live more for you uh, today than we did yesterday, and God, that we would glorify you in all things. Uh, we love you, Jesus, and pray these things in your name, Jesus Christ, amen. Um, so James is a tricky book, uh, but it is an important book. Uh, on the top of reasons that is important, uh, there's an apologetics reason uh, this book is very important. That is namely that it is written by Jesus' brother. Uh, if uh, you are a human being and your siblings think you are God, you are either God or your siblings are fools. Uh, Anna Pack, my little sister, can tell you many, many, many horrible stories and confirm to you that I am not, in fact, divine, uh, and I am, in fact, a sinner. Uh, James, on the other hand, uh, becomes a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, which he's not in the life of Jesus, but comes to see that Jesus is who he says he is and writes the book. Uh, James is also super important for us because in many ways it deals with this idea of what we'll call orthodoxy and orthopraxy, right belief and right action. Uh, he deals with, in this uh, letter quite a bit, what it means for us not to just believe who Jesus is, uh, but to live our life in response to who Jesus is. Orthodoxy and, and orthopraxy. Because at the end of the day, if we believe, and we do, that God himself moved in human history, entered into human history, uh, came and lived in this world uh, like us, took on flesh like us, had suffering like us, dealt with things like us, and lived a perfect sinless life for us so that we could live for him and for his glory, dies on a cross forgiving us for the multitude of all of our sins and every wrong thing we've done against God, raises from the dead and calls us to himself. The God of the universe came and fixed what we broke and we'll fix all things uh, that are broken. If we actually believe that gospel truth and that all who call upon his name will be saved, shouldn't that actually change the way that we live? Shouldn't that be reflected in some way, shape, or form in the way that we do life from day to day? That's James's ultimate argument. And that's not without problems, but we'll go ahead and dig into James. Uh, starting verse, chapter 2, starting verse 14. And he says this, What good is it, my brothers, if, some of, uh, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? The great, great Reformation theologian Martin Luther hated this letter. He called it a straw epistle. 
because all of a sudden, uh, Martin Luther comes out and says, listen, the Catholic Church as we know it uh, in medieval times is clearly preaching uh, salvation by works. Do these things and you will get to go to heaven to be with Jesus. Martin Luther, a monk, dusts off uh, the Greek New Testament, reads it for himself and says, it doesn't actually say that. It says that we're saved by the grace and mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he gets to James and says, wait a minute. What's going on here? What is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? And he says, no, 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 no. That's not what it says in Ephesians. James, what are you doing? So we have to understand two things. Number one, what is James actually saying, first of all? And two, how does this actually work with the rest of the Bible? Uh, remember, we're going through this series to understand how to, to read our Bibles for ourselves. And this might be a problem you come to when you're reading your Bible. You've come through Paul's 13 letters, and then you read Hebrews, and there's grace, and there's mercy, and all of a sudden you get to James chapter 2, and you say, wait a second, I, I thought the other guy said something else. Uh, I'm ultimately going to argue that he doesn't actually say something else, that what he's saying is totally in line with what Jesus has said and what Paul has said, but we need to understand what he is saying. And at the end of the day, this paragraph has its core, the reality that faith produces action, and that that action confirms our faith. So here we are in 14. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? Question mark. So when we're talking about faith here, and what he has in mind is this particular situation. He has a particular faith in mind. A faith of someone who says, yes, I believe in Jesus, and you look at their life, and there's absolutely nothing in their life that confirms that in any way, shape, or form. That someone says they know who Jesus is, but there's nothing in their life in any way that demonstrates that truth or reality at all. And so here we are. Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. It's, it's like the famous, famous statement from Marie Antoinette when she's told that the poor, poor French peasants, peasants, not peasants, peasants don't have bread, she says, the famous, and maybe she didn't even actually say this, but supposedly she did. She said, well, let them eat cake. Well, they don't have flour to make the bread. How are they going to make cake to eat the cake? But she's so separated and far from the suffering of the people, she says, let them eat cake. And here's the deal. Uh, he's saying, so if a Christian person is faced with another Christian person, and you know they don't have the things to make it day in, day out, they don't have food on the table, they don't have the bills paid, they don't have rent, and you can do something about it, and you say, well, I hope Jesus really works that out for you. What is that? Jesus has given a means for them to have that thing worked out, and it's you. There may be people in your life you can help, and you say, well, yeah, but I really like having that extra money. It's my Dave Ramsey's emergency fund. There's a possibility that Dave Ramsey's gave you that emergency fund, not for your emergency, but for theirs. That God has given you what they need to, 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 for you to be the means by which he's going to take care of them. When we do this, we make it something very, very clear. One, we trust Jesus more than we trust Dave Ramsey, which is very, very important in 2016 for evangelical Christians. But, but in addition to that, what we make clear is that all that I have belongs to Jesus, and because it belongs to Jesus, I'm going to use it for Jesus' work. 
If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, they're not making it. Uh, we're not talking about they're not making it to, to the restaurant and the five-course meal. They're not making it day in and day out. One of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body. What good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. The fact that you could look on the suffering of a brother or sister in Christ and not be moved means you have not understood what the Lord Jesus Christ has ultimately done for you. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Now he's talking about, you're saying this to me. So they're saying, well that's nice, I'm spiritual, you have your works, you do your works stuff, you do your works thing, I'll do my faith thing. And what James is going to say here is, no. In fact, no way, Jose. Show me your work, pardon me, show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. He's saying that there's no way that someone can legitimately claim to be a Christian if there's no change whatsoever in their life. Now, this immediately rubs us the wrong way. This immediately rubs us the wrong way as Protestants. Here's what he's not saying. He's not saying you're saved by works. How how do I know that? Well, because I know that he's consistent with the rest of the Bible, and we'll see it in a second. So so what he's not saying is if you you think of the thief on the cross who dies next to Jesus, who, 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 who says, remember me when you enter your kingdom. And Jesus says to the thief on the cross who cannot come down, who cannot do works, who cannot make right, who cannot make warm, who cannot make full, he says, today you will be with me in paradise. You are not a Christian. The gospel is not a message that you are saved by the things you do or Jesus picked you because you're awesome or kind or wonderful or generous or great or awesome or anything. The gospel is you're saved by grace. What he's talking about is that kind of faith. Back in verse 14. Can that faith save him? A faith that says, I will check the box. I will call myself a Christian. But I'm not really interested in doing anything that Jesus wants me to do. In chapter 13 of John's Gospel, Jesus says, this is how you will know my disciples. From the way that you love, this is how the world will know my disciples. From the way you've loved one another. Interesting there that he says that. He does not say that the world will know that you are my disciples because you have read all five volumes of Herman Bavnik's Dutch systematic uh, theology, though it is really, really, really good. You are not a Christian because the things you do. You are not a Christian uh, because the things you know, but you, you are, the world will know you are a Christian from the love that you have from one another, from the response that you have uh, from each other to each other, from the glory of Jesus Christ and the love that He has shown us. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. Faith produces action, and that, that, that action confirms our faith. Verse 19, you, now again, he's speaking to this person who's not acting like a Christian, but says, I'm a Christian. They say, I've got it. I think this is important for us to understand. Verse 19, you believe that God is one. He's likely referencing what's called the Shema, which is the core like Jewish uh, uh, catechetical, catechism uh, kind of theology statement. Our God is one. And he says this, you believe that God is one. You do well. 
Check. I believe Jesus is the Son of God. Check. I believe Jesus is fully God, fully human. Check. I believe the Nicene Creed. Check. Uh, I believe, and I believe, and I believe, check, check, check. You do well. He's not pitting theology. He's not pitting knowledge. He's not pitting, pitting these things against action, which we are so often to do. Oh, those guys just care about theology. Those guys just care about the Bible. I'm going to do my faith. I'm going to do stuff for Jesus. That is as errant as the other thing that we are looking at now. Show me your faith. Of, oh, pardon me. Uh, you believe that God is one. You do well. And then he says this. Even the demons believe and shudder. Great, you've checked some boxes. Well, demon, demons believe. Demons actually have, on some level, a good theology, a good understanding. But, but I think what he's getting after is really captured very well in 2 Corinthians, or pardon me, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, starting verse 14. Paul says this. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The, spirit, uh, the spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Okay, so what's he saying? He's not saying that someone who is not a Christian cannot read the Bible and discern basic Christian theology. Here's what I mean by that. So you can say, open a Bible. You can open a theology book and you can read it and you can understand the paragraphs and the clauses and the periods and the things that are happening on the page. You can say, I understand what John 3.16 is saying is God so loved the world. Yes, that's something you can understand. But, but, but we have to be very careful in our Christian knowledge uh, that we don't separate it in the wrong way. Theology, understanding the Bible, these aren't baseball card facts. And, and here's what I mean by that. You may be aware that the Mariners are the number one team uh, in the AL West. That is a fact, right? That is the truth right now. And I can actually say that from the pulpit as, a, as an example. And somehow it's actually true and I'm not making it up. And we're Seattleites, so we giggle because we lose all the time, and we're winning right now. And so you have to throw it in there every once in a while. Hey, we're winning. But that's a fact to be known. That may or may not actually change your life. That, that may or may not get down in your heart and in your bones and affect who you are in any way, shape, or form. And if it does, that's fine. And if it doesn't, that's fine too because it's just baseball. However, if you can check the box and say, I believe that the God of the universe in all of his divinity and all of his holiness and all of his perfection set aside his right place with God in the universe and took on this kind of flesh just like me and lived like me on this planet without sin. God chose to come and do that so that I could be saved. He came to be born as a baby. And setting aside his omnipotence and his omnipresence uh, and his omniscience. And he set those things apart. And he came, became like you and he became like me. So that you who do not deserve to be saved could be saved. And then you look at someone in need and don't do anything about it. 
The, the, the reality that God has been more generous and forgiving and loving and outpouring to you and it does not change your life or your behavior or anything about who you are. I have to say, friends, you don't actually understand the gospel at that point. If the gospel doesn't change you, you might be able to check off the baseball card facts of the Nicene Creed, but that does not mean that you have understood or apprehended the gospel of Jesus Christ for yourself in any way. If you're not compelled to love, if you're not compelled to serve those in need, if you're not compelled to open His Word and hear what He says, if you're not compelled to keep going and understanding more and more of who this God is, I'm afraid you don't understand the Gospel at all, and I'll explain it to you again. Not right in this moment, but it's the truth. Back to James. You believe that God is one. You do well. Yes, believe it. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want uh, to be shown? Uh, do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Now, here's where it gets more confusing than probably any other place that will confuse us, and we'll have to we'll have to cross-reference some things and look at it. Um, was not Abraham our father justified by works? This word here is very important. Justified. Was our father Abraham not justified by worth? Because you're thinking, you're sitting in your seat and you're thinking to yourself, but I thought we're justified by faith. I thought it says we're justified by faith alone. And didn't it say something else about Abraham somewhere? So stick your finger in your Bible, if it's in paper and if it's on your phone. I don't know what you do. Well, go over with me to Romans chapter 4. Because you're thinking to yourself, didn't he say something? And you might not be able to find it, but here it is. It's in, it's in Romans chapter 4. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? Meaning, what did he do himself, right? For if Abraham was justified by works... Wait a second. Are you guys arguing, James and Paul? They're not, by the way. Uh, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God... And it was counted to him as righteousness. Now, to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as due, right? Your boss is not doing you any favors by writing you a check, right? You, you sell someone something and they give you the money for the thing you sold to them. They're not doing you any favors. They're just giving you the money they owe you. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him, who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts uh, righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sins. Is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised, for we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? Right? Did that save? Did circumcision save him? Is the kind of the question at hand. Okay. So now go back with me to James, and then what did James say? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? What's going on here? And then you say, well, I'll check the Greek. Well, it's the same word in Greek. Oh, no. 
It's the same word in Greek. What do we do now? Have you ever heard of a counter? What's a counter? It's a thing in your house, right? You put things on. Uh, have you ever heard of a counter like in a Jackie Chan or Bruce Lee movie? The guy goes to punch, the guy blocks the punch, and the other punch comes in and he blocks the punch. What do you call the blocked punch? It's a counter if you're watching a Bruce Lee movie, right? Well, I, I thought it was something you set things on. The word is semantical range. There's a bit of semantical range at work in the word justified. When, when Paul uses it, he means when God justifies us. We're justified by faith alone. We're saved by faith and grace alone. Now, then what's happening here with this? With this usage of that same word? Well, we have to go back up to verse 14. And we're talking about, can that faith save him? A faith with no works. Justification here is being used in a sense to reveal what's already there. And that's well within the range of that word in Greek. It's revealing what's already there. Abraham takes his son, horrible, scary story in Genesis, puts his son on the altar in faith, trusts, and what that reveals is that he put his faith in, that action actually reveals what's already happening in his heart, right? Because have you ever thought about this? When I stand up here every Sunday and say, you've never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, and if you've never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, this is the gospel that Jesus saved sinners, that God came into history to save us. Repent and believe. And then you say, and you get nitpicky, and you say, didn't you just tell me to do something? I thought we were Christians, and we don't, you don't tell anybody to do anything. So I have to repent and believe to be saved? All who call upon the name of the Lord, what, will be saved? Well, didn't you just say I had to call on the name of the Lord? Don't I have to do something? In this case, when we call on the name of the Lord, we heard the good news of Jesus, and we've received this truth, and we take the action of calling upon the name of the Lord, or turning from our sin and to Jesus, it's revealing what is already true about us, and that is that we have become a Christian, and that we love Jesus. We repent because He's loved us and poured His love out on us. It'll make sense as we keep going. Watch. I promise. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active all along with his works. His life has been changed by his encounter with God and his acting accordingly. And faith was completed by his works. It was confirmed by his works. It was shown by his works. So you hear the good news of Jesus and you say, I love Jesus. And we take that as a legit, bona fide statement. If someone says that, we say, I love Jesus. I've turned from my sin and turned to Jesus. We, we take that as legit. Right? But it's confirming the thing that God's already done in their heart. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham, what? Believed God. He trusted God. And his belief and faith in God was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend to God. Verse 24. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And this is what he's after. He's not after the act of salvation here, right? Because if we want, we could stop. And we just drop the and, and you could say something heretical. You see, the person is justified by works. We have to understand what he's saying in the context of the paragraph. People don't write in vacuums. 
It goes all together. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. We're saved by that faith and that faith is unearthed and that reality is shown uh, by, by our works. And in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works? She trusted these spies who come on in and she says, if I drop this cord down, will you save me and my family as you all come into Jericho? And so she actually does what they, they ask of her and they, then she lives. When she received the messengers and sent them out by another way, for as, the, uh, for as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so faith apart from works is dead. That our life in Jesus, if it isn't reflecting a life in Jesus, is not much life at all. Go with me to John chapter 14. This isn't the only place this exists, by the way. Verse 12, John 14. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Verse 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. So be careful. There's two ways you could read that statement. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. We could read that and say, oh, what he's saying here is that if I'm a Christian, I do these things so God will love me. But that's not what he says. It's conditional. If you love me, if you love Jesus, the life you live in Jesus will reflect that you love Jesus. If you love Jesus, the life you live will reflect that you love Jesus. I think what James is after is that faith produces action and that action confirms our faith. Faith and love in Jesus makes us do crazy things sometimes. Things that do not make sense to the world. We do these things. And God asks us to take mighty risks and those actions and even the normal actions, the, the love we have for one another confirms our faith. Three things I think we get from this. Number one, gospel action is produced by faith. And when I say gospel action, I mean those actions and that life lived in the wake of the reality of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Where do I see this? Hebrews, pardon me, Romans chapter 12. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers. I'm in chapter 12, starting verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Our whole life is then lived in response to the reality of Jesus. We live as living sacrifices. This changes everything we do. So all of a sudden, if you have money in your life, 
Your money is not given to you for your sake alone, but that money would be used in your life in such a way that makes it clear that you know who that money belongs to. Jesus. Every relationship, every friendship, uh, your marriage, your, your children, all of those things are given to you as a gift that they might be means, in a sense, in your hands to reflect the reality of Jesus in your life as a living sacrifice. That as a parent, you just don't love your kids just because you're supposed to love your kids. You love your kids because they're a gift to you from the Lord Jesus Christ. And you love them well. Everything in our life is a gift from Jesus to be used in this sacrifice, as a living sacrifice in the wake of the glory of who He is. Uh, that faith in our life produces actions. And those actions confirm that we have believed Jesus and everything we do confirms that we believe Jesus. Secondly, and this one I think is really, really, really important. Uh, James doesn't say it explicitly, but I think we need to pick it up or you'll miss this. Because the last thing I want you to do is leave here and say, yes, I believe in Jesus, so I should start doing a bunch of stuff. Right? Because I hope that you believe Jesus. But the stuff that you do is not so that Jesus will love you, but because he's loved you, that's the response. But that gospel action, that reality lived in Christ, uh, is a gift. To get to do the things that God wants you to do is a gift in your life. It's a gift. Where am I getting that? Psalm 1. Psalm 1 simply says this. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law or the Torah or the teaching of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. So if we take this as a promise, and you try and use it transactionally, and here's what I mean by that that you will do something to get God to do something for you. you know, God helps those who help Himself. What verse is that in the Bible? It's not. Ben Franklin said it, and he was not a Christian. So don't say it's in the Bible, please. But we, we take this. So blessed is the man. So the man who does these things is going to be blessed. And so I'm not going to walk in the... You have to get the order right. right? So I'm not going to walk, and I'm not going to sit, and I'm not going to listen to these... These sinners over here. I'm not going to do the sinnery stuff. That's really what he's after, the walk. I'm not going to walk in their ways. I'm not, going to be a, I'm not going to walk in the rebellion against God, for example. Oh, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. So I need to, to, to really like the Bible. And if I really like the Bible, then Jesus will give me what I want. It misses it, right? Blessed is the man. This word blessed is the word ashray. And it means it's always, 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 always used. There's another word for blessed where we're blessing God, where we're pointing things back up to God. This word in the Hebrew Bible is always used in Hebrew to, to reference something where God is doing something to us. It's a grace to us. It's a mercy to us. It's a blessing to us. So it's not that I don't walk in the ways of sinners so that God will bless me, but the fact that I am not walking in the way of sinners is an outpouring of God's grace and mercy and blessing to me. The fact that I want to read and understand the Bible, that's not something I do so that God will bless me. That is the blessing itself. Uh, Jesus is our great treasure. 
It's not that I'm loving Jesus so He will give me stuff. In loving Jesus, I get the greatest thing I can have. And that's Jesus. Jesus is the treasure. Not walking in the way of sinners is the treasure. You're not blocking the show on Netflix you know you shouldn't watch because it's wicked and sinful so that God will bless you. It's a blessing that you're choosing not to get after that and you get after something else. That is the blessing. Getting after Jesus is the blessing. Jesus is the blessing. This is what John James is after. Our life living, doing the work of God is the blessing. It is not the thing that will get us blessed. It is the blessing. Right? We're not doing it so that He will love us. We're doing it because He loves us. And it's unearthing and revealing this fact. Number three, gospel action confirms faith. And I told you, I need you to understand it in the context. I think this is what he's after in James. That he's not saying don't have faith or faith isn't saving. He's saying if you have faith, you will do stuff that is in accordance with the faith. But it's not only in James. Matthew chapter 7 says this uh, at the end. Uh, verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, this is the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' great pronouncement of what it looks like to live in the wake of the reality of Jesus and be blessed. Uh, what the fullness of life looks like. And he says as he's kind of winding down this sermon, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast demons out in your name and do mighty works in your name? And I will declare to them, I never knew from you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and, and, uh, on the house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and, and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against the house. And it fell and great was the fall of it. And when Jesus finished these things, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. Skip back up to verse 15. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. You will recognize that they don't love Jesus by their fruits. Our grapes... Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every heavenly tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that cannot bear good fruit is cut down and thrown in the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. How can you identify someone loves Jesus? By the love they have for one another. The world will know you are my disciples from the love you have for one another. By the things they're doing, living in this obvious response to Jesus. And mind you, we're all in different places on that trajectory, on that path. But the way you can tell someone is a Christian is they do Christian stuff. And by that, be, let's be really clear. I don't mean you go to the Christian bookstore. And also, let's be clear, you could do this. But what I'm saying is, it's not that you go to the Christian bookstore and buy the t-shirt and put the bumper sticker on and make sure you get a gold star in Sunday attendance. 
We gather as the church because Jesus has loved us. But, but what we mean here is the outpouring of the love and the worship of Jesus for who He is. Now that will respond in, in maybe our clothes looking differently, right? But that doesn't necessarily mean it has to be the Sprite shirt that says Spirit. And it does mean we're going to do different things. It does mean we're going to long to be with the church and be together and be here on Sunday. Not so that we get the gold star and say, look, I'm doing the right things. But because, man, Jesus loves me and I love God's people and I want to be with God's people. It's not faking it till you making it, faking it till you make it, acting like a Christian, but it's the reality we've been so radically changed by Jesus that we bear different fruit. First and foremost, what we need Nowhere in here does James say anything about works apart from faith. You need faith to have the works that are a response to faith. If you don't know who Jesus is, today is the day. He is the Savior of the world. He does pay the price for sin. And he does give life in abundance. Repent and believe. I think this text is a very valuable benchmark for all of us to look at it and say, could you tell what kind of tree I am by the fruit that is on that tree? You can recognize an Italian palm tree from an apple tree a mile away. Does your life, does your walk, does your behavior, does the things that you do in your life at work and at home and in your neighborhood and wherever you might be, is it apparent to the world that you believe Jesus rose from the dead? And if it is, if you are walking in this truth, the next question is simply this. What is he calling you to do? What, what are the works he has for you? Are they crazy? They might be crazy works like saying, I'm going to stay and do this thing that I don't want to do for the next 10 years because I'm ministering to people well. I'm going to stay at this coffee shop and I'm going to pull shots here even though I don't really need to do this job or want to do this job. But there's these people I keep telling and they keep meeting Jesus and that's exciting. I'm doing his works. Is he calling you to crazy dangerous things? You don't want to go to that country that you're thinking about. You don't want to walk into the service. It's not comfortable. It's not easy. But maybe it is what he's calling you. Maybe your works reflect that you're going to do radical and risky things for the gospel. What is God calling you to to reflect your love and treasure of him today? I'm going to pray for us. King Jesus, this is your day, and we are your people. I pray for us, Lord Jesus, that first and foremost, you would give us a white-hot faith, a white-hot truth and belief in the reality that you've risen from the dead, you've forgiven us for our sins, you washed us clean from our iniquity. And Jesus, I pray that that faith in us would produce the works that reflect the truth of who you are. That the things we do would make it clear what kind of tree we are. That our profession and our life and whatever we do would make the simple fact plain and clear that we have been saved from sin, from death, by grace and by mercy for your glory. Jesus, we love you and pray these things for your glory and for our joy. In your name, Jesus Christ.